Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we begin our series in the Book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on October 25, 2020, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is Introduction to Micah, Part 1, and provides an overview of the history surrounding the times of Micah. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. So, as you see, I made the executive decision, I suppose, to go through Micah. <laughs> I was debating what's a book to go. Kings, because I've yet to finish Kings. Yeah, I know, it's been... I don't know how many years <laughs> since we started Kings. Micah, or I was asked about Daniel. Daniel would be a lot of fun. But Micah's pertinent, I suppose. And seeing as if we're going to go in order, you know, Micah was a contemporary of Amos, Hosea, and, and uh, Isaiah, obviously. But um, anyways, before we, before we begin, let's pray. And let's ask the, world, the Lord to guide us. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you that you are our great and loving Father. Lord, that you called us to yourself, Lord, and saved us from this world, Lord God, from the, um, our sin that causes us, Lord God, to, to stumble in every way, Lord. And we, we pray that we look into, as we look into your word that you would guide us and teach us, Lord. Help us to grow in understanding about you, Lord, about how you operate in this world because you've taught us time and time again. You tell us to look at Israel and use them as an example for us so we don't fall into the same snares. Lord, we pray as we go through the prophet Micah that we would be able to do that that it would affect the way that we live today. Father God, please shape us and mold us. May we see the face of Christ in this, that we might be more made into his image. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, like I said, we're going to be going through Micah. And this is just an introduction, and I don't know if I'm going to get through everything today. And the, and, and, well, no, I'm not going to go get through everything today. Let me say it like that. Uh, I didn't even do all of the introduction yet. I only did a couple things. But uh, I don't know if I'm going to get through what I did. There's so much that background information uh, that I think is important to understanding these prophets and this period. You know, um, what was going on at the time politically in Israel and in Judah and the wider world. Because at this time... There was a reordering of things. God was reordering how the world was shaped itself, right? At this time, though, let's just, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, Micah was a contemporary of, as I said, Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. We went through Hosea, and Brother Chris went through uh, Amos, and it's, um, no one has done Isaiah yet. That'll, that'll take some time. But, but uh, Hosea and Amos were prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah and Micah were prophets more or less 
to the uh, southern kingdom, though they do have prophecies that do concern the northern kingdoms. Both of them do. Um, but they were generally prophets to the southern kingdom of Judah. All right. All right. So let's look at the uh, historical background on this. And this is where it gets pretty fun and interesting. Okay. Um, Micah prophesied at the time of Jotham to Hezekiah. And Jotham's rule was roughly around 742 to 735 BC, and Hezekiah's rule was roughly 715 to 686. He ruled a, uh, quite a long time um, BC, right? And at this time, Assyria was on the ascendancy, right? Assyria was coming up as a big dog in the world. And under Tiglath Pileser III, for short, we'll call him TP3. Okay, uh, TP3, right? Uh, and he ruled from 744 to 727. So he was ruling around the time of Jotham here in the southern kingdom. Uh, and his Babylonian throne name was Pul. You'll find that name in First Chronicles 526. So if you see Pul, P-U-L, that's Tiglath-Pileser III. That's TP3, right? Um, and at that time, Assyria was doing something unique in the world, right? They were doing something that no one really had done before. And this is what I was talking about. God reordering the world, reshaping it. As we read our Bible, we see a very specific order to things in the world, right? There are civilizations, there are advancements, but... Generally speaking, even, even these civilizations are ordered more in the world of the patriarchs on a tribal basis, generally, right? They're ordered by families. That's generally how that area of the world is arranged. And after that, God leads the people out of Egypt. Egypt was one of those civilizations that we spoke about. But Egypt was still um, a small confederacy, we could say. Right? But um, he moved, led the people out and put them into the lands, and they became a state, an actual state for a period of time. But they were still ordered more or less in the tribal sense, right? And then God gave them a king. And now we come into the kingdom of Israel. And that's another reordering of the world. And every time we see these, this reordering of the world, something happens. Well, at the very beginning when God ordered the world, not reordered, I guess it would be the first time. So he ordered the world. He created the garden, right? A place where he, can, that he would dwell. And we know um, from John Walton and from others that the garden is a temple, right? When God created this world, he created a place for himself, a house for himself. He created a temple, right? And in every temple of a God, what happens? There's always a statue put in there, right? An image, right? So what did God do? He put his image into that garden, right? To keep it and to guard it and to tend it, right? So that's what happened. And then when God reordered the world in the uh, patriarchal period with Abraham <coughs> coming out. 
Abraham, what, what, what marked Abraham's uh, time in Canaan? Who knows what really, how Genesis divides it. What, like, what marked his time in Canaan? What did Abraham do? What was he doing constantly? He was building altars. Everywhere he went, he was building an altar. He's building an altar. He's building an altar. You know, places, little holy mountains, little Edens, little uh, places to meet God, little sanctuaries, um, because God had promised that that land would be his, and he would be Abraham's God, and his descendants' God, and they would be his people. So we have a reordering of the world there, and Abraham's going around worshiping in the open air uh, at these altars. And then... At the time of the exile, what does God do? How does God reorder the world again? Who knows? What's that? No, at the time of the at the time of the I said exile, didn't I? I'm sorry, Exodus. At the time of the Exodus, right? That would be the new period of time. The Ten Commandments. Yes, He gave them a, a very specific law. Yes, that's part of it. Very good. What's up? Yes, she's what she said. Yep. That's yeah, all right. Yes, the tabernacle, which is part of the law, right? Part of that whole thing. Yes, he created a new sanctuary for them. He created a new Eden, a new place for him to, him to dwell in the midst of his people. Right? And then in the time, the next reordering of things, what do we see? We, we see when, the, when the Israel moves from a tribal-type people to a more national type people with a king, what happens? They get a temple, right. There's another restructuring and reordering of the world, right? Well, at this, during this time, Assyria being on the rise, we're coming into the time of empire. From the time of Assyria onward in that region, all the way to the Roman Empire, all the, so you're going back like, what, 700 and something years, all the way to when did Rome fall? Who knows when Rome fell? 1400 and something. When did Constantinople finally go down? I can't remember the exact date. But, yeah, remember that it's Istanbul, not Constantinople now? Yeah, remember all that? It's, that, that happened very late, very, very late. So there's, there's a, been an empire, generally speaking, um, I guess, biblically speaking, we should, we should look at it that way. Uh, Rome became obsolete at the, in the, uh, the assassination of Nero's children. But um, after that, Rome was more of a nuisance than anything else. <laughs> but, uh, but in truth, though, I mean, it, 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 there was no more Caesars after that. Like, once, once uh, Nero's children were died... There, the Caesar line, the line of the first kings, or first emperors, I should say, of, um, of Rome was dead. There was no more. Now everyone who took the name Caesar was, you know, just being vain. Um, trying to tie themselves to something that they really had no blood right to, as it were. Anyways. That's, that's neither here nor there. But either way, um, at this time, yeah, there was a reordering, restructuring of the globe, of how things were going on. No one really did what Assyria did before. And we all know Assyria was bloody and brutal and just 
rough, right? They were a rough bunch. Well, the area that they conquered uh, was, they, all right, I don't know if you guys could see this. This is as big as I was able to make it, unfortunately. Um, okay, this is the Eurasian steppe, right? And yeah, some of um, Asia Minor over here. You got the Middle East, all, like this is the uh, Palestinian coastal plain, all the way down across, um, across the, what was today, I guess, Saudi Arabia here, through the Sinai Peninsula, Peninsula down into northern um, Africa, which is Egypt. So Assyria conquered this vast area, right? And what I don't think people fully appreciate, this is, this is where Nineveh is, right here, okay? This is the Eurasian steppe. All the peoples that lived around here, like when you think of people of the steppe, what do you think of? You should think of something immediately. Shepherds. What? Shepherds. They were shepherds, but uh, Genghis Khan. <laughs> That's what you should think. Uh, you should think of people riding on horses and shooting bows and arrows. They did that during the time of the Assyrian Empire all the way to the time of Napoleon. Right? And they gave Napoleon a run for his money. They were a violent, nomadic bunch that were very hard to conquer. <laughs> but Assyria managed it. Assyria put them under their thumb. And because they lived here. This is Assyria. This was where Assyria was. So when these people come down and raid and burn Assyrian cities, what do they do? They have to retaliate, but they can't find them because they're nomadic. They're in and out quick, right? I mean, how did Genghis Khan conquer uh, <coughs> almost to England, you know? I mean, to a very much more technologically advanced people. Well, they were fast and brutal. So anyways, um, that's what Assyria was dealing with. They were dealing with pretty much just Genghis Khan, right? Maybe not that brilliant military mind. And again, at this time, there were smaller bunches of people. They were more tribal and nomadic and everything else. Uh, well, they were more tribal, I should say it that way. They were always nomadic. But um, they had to deal with, with, with all of them. So they had to be brutal. They had to be um, harsh in order to pacify people, right? And you have rival kingdoms. You have Babylon. This is where Babylon is, by the way, um, on a map. They had Babylon to their south. They had Egypt over here. They had Judah and Samaria. You know, they had, they had a lot of uh, Syria here. Because remember, as we were studying, we were coming up to this point in Kings. We never actually quite got there. But uh, Syria was on the march. Syria was on the move. Syria bordered um, Assyria. And they were, they were moving. They were taking territory. So Assyria is being threatened from the north. Assyria is being threatened from this side. You have the land of the, what is this? This is the Phrygian kingdom. Um, sure, the Hittite kingdom was also up here. They conquered that. This was the Hittite kingdom. Um, you had, well, I mean, you had the Babylonians as well. They were, they were a rough bunch themselves at that time period. I mean, they always were, but... You had all of these different peoples around them. They're surrounded. They were 
they developed a new kind of warfare. And through their new kind of warfare, through, through their um, ability to uh, march in formation and do all sorts of things that really no one had done the same way they did, they were able to... Um, I'm not saying like people weren't able to march in formation or anything like that. There, there were armies. But they were... They brought it to another level, let's just say. Uh, they were able to crush the peoples roundabouts them. And what happens when a nation gets a shiny new toy, like a new chariot? Well, they're going to use it, right? That's right. So they got and they kept going and kept going and kept going and building this vast empire. And you know what? The bloody way of doing things certainly worked uh, to the peoples up in the steppe. So let's keep that going. Let's keep using our bloody-handed ways. And that's what they did. They moved all around. And at the same time, being a vast empire made them extremely powerful, made them extremely rich. They exacted tribute from everybody they conquered. And at this time, remember, um, a lot of these places, like, like here, this is El Teca, right? And Ashkelon and Samaria and Jerusalem, right? See, each one of these places had a king in it, you know? So they, like, yeah, this little, little spot had kings. Like, there's four kings right there. So they're exacting tribute from these four kings. A lot of kings just ruled a city, right? That's how that would work. And they would maybe exact tribute, the kings would, of those cities to the surrounding vicinity, like the farms and stuff that were around them. But that's pretty much a kingdom, Right? Look what Assyria did. They conquered a vast swath of land. So anyways, um, yeah, that was, that's very unique. God is reordering this part of the globe, right? Maybe I should just move on. Uh, no. See, this, is, this, is, this was my dilemma. <laughs> like, how far do I go? Well, I probably should explain this, okay, because this is kind of important. All right, when Assyria was declining... When Assyria was ebbing, when it's when it's it reached its zenith, and now it's coming back down. Guess who was on the ascendancy? Guess who was on the rise? Babylon. That's right. Babylon was on the rise, and they decide we're going to break the yoke of Assyria from off our neck, and they teamed up with another people, um, the Elamites, and they went in and wrecked. Assyria, right? They went to Charchemesh and Nineveh and just wiped them out, wiped out Assyria, and they became, they started to conquer all the old Assyrian territories, right? All these territories once belonged to Assyria. Now they belong to Babylon. Babylon kept advancing after that. They kept taking and taking more. I mean, Assyria had this great empire that's set up with this great tax collection system set up. So Babylon's like, well, there's, we just beat Assyria, so now it's all ours, and we're going to make it bigger. And then what happened to the Babylonians? At that, the Medes and Persians came, and they said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take Babylon and take their system, uh, and we're going to expand it. And then after the Medes and Persians, who did you have? The Greeks. The Greeks conquered the Persians, and they took all of Persia and made it bigger. 
And then after the Greeks, who did you have? The Romans. And they did the same thing to the Greeks. So it just started. It started right here with Assyria. Right? So that's what I'm saying. There's a new order and a new structure to the world. Oh, and after this period, what happens? What, what's, what's, what's the central focus of that restructuring? What's the central focus of the restructuring of the world in the empire uh, period of time? Remember, I said, what's the central focus of the Abrahamic period in terms of the restructuring of the world, right? He was building altars. How about the ex- like, uh, Exodus, right? That, that period of time. There was a tabernacle. Then there's a temple. So during the empire, what's the central focus? I'm referring to the whole shebang. <laughs> That's not the central focus because God is always the center. Always the center. It, good. That's after. That's another reordering and restructuring of the world. That's the new heavens and new earth, huh? Yeah, that was part of it. But God never came back to the temple, remember? He never came back. His glory was never there. Where was God's glory? Where did God dwell? So there was no God on earth from Babylonian destruction of the temple to the period of Christ. But where was God with his... Where was he? Where was God? What's... Yeah, he went off into exile with his people, right? Remember the prophecy of Ezekiel? He leaves the temple and he goes off across the river, across to the, where the people are in uh, Susa, right? Isn't that what happens? He goes with his people. He goes with the remnant. He goes with them into exile. Now, there's no physical place, right, where God dwells anymore. And this is a great tragedy. This is a great a great um, sentence. There's an emptiness here, right? There's no Eden anymore, right? That was the hope. Where's the Eden? Where is it? And then what happened? Messiah came, right? The Christ came, and he tabernacled with his people back in Israel, right? And what happened after that? And Pentecost happened, yes, exactly. So where is God now? He's the church, right? He is with the church. That's the fundamental reordering and restructuring. He's not in one place any longer. Now it's a new earth. God is, dwells everywhere. We're to make the whole earth, you know, his garden, right? The whole earth is filled with his glory, right? Isn't that what it says? Or at least he will be, right? The whole earth will be filled with his glory. Now if we look at it from this perspective... Remember, God walked with them in the garden. God's glory came down and filled the tabernacle, filled the temple, right? Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the church. The glory of God is to fill the church. What does that mean? The church is going to fill the globe. That's what that means. Like, we're to make the whole world into a garden. We're to make the whole world 
um, Christian. That's what Christ commanded. Anyways, like I said, there's a lot of information. I thought that was important because most of the time we don't think about those reordering, those restructurings. There's always a, a new heavens and new earth type of theme that we see in, um, in all of these restructurings. A new Eden is created, a new place is created. But in the empire period, there was one that was destroyed and it was never actually established again. However, if you look at the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of, he dreamed of those four empires, right? Like Assyria was already gone at that time, so he didn't have to dream about them. But uh, Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. But if you look at the statue, that statue is symbolic, if you will, of a temple, right? You have the gold and silver and bronze like those are the those are things you see that fa- like found the temple right that and uh and if you look even at this kingdom here right you have judah right you got israel right here and then you have these kingdoms and especially like the babylonian and roman and everything else rome went all the way all the way to england and then this all the way down right so what is that? Remember those those were those were things. It's a place where surrounding the surrounding Israel, surrounding Judah, right? It's acting as a house around Israel. So those those empires became, in a sense, God's house, but not in a full sense. Obviously, um, they were supposed to house and protect and help the people. And what happened when they didn't? When they failed to protect the people? Well, God wiped them out, right? They become kind of unnecessary, uh, and so they were replaced, right? And that what happened with uh, the Medes and Persians and the um, well, then you have Cyrus who commanded that the temple be rebuilt. He was favorable to towards Israel, he was favorable towards them, and then later on the, there arose some who were not like Cyrus and oppressed the people, and so God wiped them out. And then along come the Greeks. Along came Alexander, doing what Alexander did, conquering to conquer, as it were. I mean, he was probably the greatest military mind the uh, world has ever known. And as a boy, he raged all the way through uh, the Persian Empire and was favorable towards Israel. He was favorable towards this area. And then his, he died, his kingdom is divided, and you have the, uh, the Ptolemies ruling over here, and you have the Seleucids ruling over here, right? And in order to deal with each other, they have to pass right through here, right? Right through Judah. So that spot in Daniel where it talks about king of the north and queen of the south and all that other stuff is right there. These two, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, uh, the Greeks who ruled Syria and Egypt. And as they're passing through back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, this was changing hands. They were paying tax to these guys. And they were, then these guys would overtax them and it would be bad. And so then these guys would take them. You know, then these guys would beat these guys. And this became a client state of, of these guys. And then back and forth and back and forth. And tell Antiochus Epiphanes, right? Antiochus Epiphanes is what was spoken about in Daniel. He was from up here. Uh, and he was trying to conquer down here. And while he was on his way, the Romans came in from over here and said, stop, <laughs> enough. You guys got to knock it off. You don't, we're going to crush you. While he was over here, I said over here, but it was more over here, he came down. And then so um, 
what happened was he was ticked because he wanted to keep going, but he had to listen to the Romans because the Romans meant business. And so he marched his way back, and he was enraged. And as he passed through Jerusalem, he set himself up in the temple and said, Worship me, I'm God. Right? His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes, the epiphany, the um, manifestation of God. He said, I'm God, worship me. And the Jews said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And so he slaughtered hundreds of thousands and killed pigs and burned them on the altar and all of those sorts of things. And we, we, Daniel talks about the desolation, the, uh, um, yeah, the, yeah, that's an abomination that makes desolate, the abomination of desolations. Thank you. And uh, that is what Daniel's specifically speaking about in Jerusalem, Antiochus. And so um, it was clear from that period that something needed to be done. And God gave Jude actually a reprieve for a period uh, in the Maccabean era, right? Judas Maccabeus rebelled, you know, Judas the hammer. I love that. That's awesome. It's like Charles Martel is Charles the hammer. It's great. That's probably the best epithet you could possibly have in my mind. Anyways, I just think it's really cool. Uh, And so he rebelled and was victorious for a period. And then, that didn't last very long because then the Romans came and took over the obsolete Greeks because they were doing bad things and so on. All right, and then it happened to the Romans. Anyways, I'm getting a little off track, but I just wanted to, to clarify something about this period and the restructuring of the world. Okay, so from this period, the, this period right here, not the period I was just discussing, uh, Assyria pacified all of these peoples, right? All the way from the Eurasian steppe that crossed the Middle East down into Northern Africa, thus creating this vast empire. Now, um, from, yes, this became the way the world was structured all the way to the period of the Roman Empire. Now, this region was, um, yeah, it was always, from this time all the way to the Romans, was under, under a time of empires. And it still is today, right? It is still under empire today. Who is the emperor of this area today? Who knows? Give me a Sunday school answer. Jesus. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Jesus is the emperor of the world. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. (laughs) <laughs> you like that, right? <laughs> All right, that was a trick question. Okay, anyway. <laughs> okay, so TP3, let's go back to Tiglath-Pileser III. He pushed um, into the Assyrian coastal plain. This, I'm sorry, I said Assyrian, my goodness. The Israel, Israeli, uh, the, the Israel coastal plain. Uh, Assyria pushed into the Israel coastal plain, this, this region here, right? in 734 B.C. and um, and conquered through Philistia and took Damascus in Damascus being somewhere over here, this area, yeah, conquered over here and then took Damascus in uh, 732. He occupied the region of Galilee and the Transjordan and at that time he put Hosea not Hosea, Hosea, on the throne of 
um, Israel after assassinating his predecessor, Pekah. Okay? Pekah was the ruler who started these, this movement, but Tiglath-Pileser III really got it going, really started taking over. Now, Shalmaneser V, you know, maybe I should give you dates, just so it's a little bit clear, Tiglath-Pileser ruled from 744 to 727. Shalmaneser, his, 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 um, his successor, ruled from 726 to 722. He attacked Samaria from 726 to 722. That whole time he was reigning, he was attacking Samaria. And, and Samaria was finally fully pacified by Sargon II in 722 to 705. Right? Um, and Assyria at that time... That's that's the time they removed Israel's upper class. That that they took all they took the people of Israel and took them out of the land, and they brought in and they imported people from other nations and other races, and they had to be taught how to worship the god of that area because the wild beasts were killing them. <laughs> you remember that that that, that account? Um, so that's that's what that's what was going on then. They had removed Israel's upper class and transplanted other peoples into the northern kingdom. And this put an end to Israel, the northern kingdom at least of Israel, as a nation. It was no longer a nation. Now it was merely a province of Assyria called Samaria. Right? That's, what, that's when the northern kingdom became Samaria. And it was just a province of Assyria at that time around 705. Okay? So, but during this time period... There were periodic uprisings against the Assyrian tributes, you know, their taxes that they uh, were exacting from all of these conquered peoples. And it caused Assyria to retaliate. Right? One of them we see in 2 Kings 17, 5 through 6. Matter of fact, we might as well just read that one. Man, I'm not even going to get through this part. <laughs> Sorry. I get, I get off on other topics. But it's all connected, you know. It's all important. And it's all, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it helps to see things, you know. Because a lot of times we don't think big picture stuff. We think, you know, isolated details. And without seeing the big picture, that vast sweep of history, it's really hard to understand what God's doing in the world, you know. That's the only way we can understand what God's doing now is by looking at what he did back then. And the only way we can know what he did back then is by looking... At all of it, <laughs> you know, looking at the vast sweep of it, you know, you can't just look at isolated events. Um, all right, what did I say? I said Second Kings seventeen. Because this is important to uh, what we're talking about, right? All right, so. Starting in verse 1, just so we get an idea. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. Okay. He reigned there because, as we said, Sargon put him on the throne. Right? Um, and then, after that, after that, he did what was evil inside of the Lord, and, and, and against him came up Shalomancer, king of Syria, and Hoshea became the vassal. I'm sorry, I said Sargon. It was, it was Shalomancer. Uh, he became the vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found 
treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Syria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Syria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. Right? That's exactly what we were just discussing. That's the period of time that we are dealing with, and they, from time to time there were. There were these little tax revolts, these tax rebellions, where they refused to pay tribute, and Assyria would come in and retaliate, depose the king, transplant some people, and put a new king on the throne. That's how Assyria operated. They just wanted their money, as every great nation, state, government does. So they just want their money. Nothing will come in between them and getting it, even if it means killing lots and lots and lots of people to get it. And um, they invaded in 721 to 720, and again from 714 to 701, right? And this last one, the one in 701, was the most devastating to Judah. Sennacherib succeeded Sargon II, uh, and we know who Sennacherib is, right? He's the one that did this in 701, right? He's the one who came up against Judah. We read about it in Kings, and we read about it in uh, Isaiah, right? He's the one who blasphemed God and all this stuff. We're going to read all that because it's important to understanding this period because this is when Hosea was prophesying at the time, but Micah was prophesying, Isaiah was prophesying, right? Amos was prophesying. This is that period of time, okay? Um, right, so uh, Hezekiah was, you know, he was king of Judah, and he was paying tribute to Assyria, but he did that while maintaining moral uprightness um, in the land. He implemented all kinds of reforms. He purified the temple, restored the Passover, repented from the social corruptions that plagued Judah. He did that in response to Micah's preaching and Isaiah's preaching. Um, we see that in Second Chronicles 29 to 31. We read about Hezekiah's reign. However, uh, when Sargon II was succeeded by Sennacherib, Hezekiah thought it was a good time to withhold tribute, right? And he did this against prophetic advice. In Isaiah 31 and 2, we see the prophet telling him not to rebel. Rebellion is going to get you nowhere. And he joined a coalition led by Merodach Baladan of Babylon over here. Right? That's where Babylon is. He joined a coalition with him, he was the leader of it, uh, Merodach Baladan. Okay? And uh, also included in this coalition was Shabaka, king of Egypt. Right? I'm probably pronouncing these names wrong, but I just like saying them. Um, and anyways, he is king of Egypt, and they all got together and said, you know what? There is a new king in Assyria. It's, there's some confusion, because remember, Assyrian politics, like all politics, is a little messy. Sometimes people don't accept the results of elections, right? We see that in cities burn, okay? Sometimes people didn't accept new uh, kings, and other people thought, hey, you know what? He's just new to the throne. He's kind of weak. Let's try to get it. So he had to make sure that he was established 
as king in Assyria before he could deal with the outside. So other nations saw this and said, oh, now's the perfect time while he's trying to secure his reign that we could break away from Assyria, right? And Judah got caught up in this, uh, we'll call it, for lack of a better word, patriotic fervor and said, yes, independence, freedom for all. Let's join with Babylon and Egypt and become free, right? And Isaiah's like, don't do that, man. That's a, that's a bad idea. No good will come of this. Don't join yourself to Babylon and Egypt. Don't do it. Don't trust in Babylon. Don't trust in Egypt. They're not going to save you. Right? And after dealing, well, Sennacherib secured himself pretty quickly. And after he went down, conquered, reconquered Babylon... And that was a big thing over there. After he did that, he moved himself across and started in on Judah, right? That's what he did in response to the rebellion. Okay. So, in in response to the rebellion, Assyria reconquered Babylon and arrived in Judah in 701. He marched through, you know, I'm just going to bring this over here so I can talk and point at the same time. He marched through Syria down through Phoenicia, right, through the plain of Sharon, and um, lost my place. And then he conquered Joppa, you know where Joppa, Joppa's like right up over here. He conquered, um, over here I suppose, Uh, he conquered Joppa, and then after that he moved through the Philistine coastal plain and over through Shepla. Okay, Shepla was right across here from Jerusalem, and it was a place, it was a strategic location for Jerusalem that it was on the same level as, as them, and it protected Jerusalem. It was like, sort of like a buffer, if you will, between Philistia and, and uh, Jerusalem. It acted as a buffer, sta- a buffer city, you know, and he, he took that, and he took that with relative ease. It was a Judean defensive city in yeah, Judah's western foothills. Um, and we, have, we, we know exactly the path he took and everything that he did because we find, it's, like archaeologists have found uh, reliefs, right? They have found reliefs of, of things. And this is something that they found, right? This is on a relief in, in that region, right? As for Hezekiah, this is, this is Sennacherib. He wrote this. Well, I mean, he probably had his Somebody write this. But uh, as for Sennacherib, the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts, and the countless small villages in their vicinity, and conquered by means of a well-stamped earth, earth ramps and battering rams, brought thus near to the walls, combined with the attack of foot soldiers using mines, breaches, as well as sapper work. I drove out of them... 200,150 people, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, donkeys, camels, big and small, beyond counting, and considered them booty. Right? So he's conquering through Judah, and we know the path he took because of reliefs like this, because Assyria was very good at keeping records, and he conquered his way all the way through to the very gates of Jerusalem. Right? Um, yes, and the 46 cities include the, five, the, the nine that are, will be mentioned by Micah in 1, 10 to 15, Lachish being the most important, right? 
As a matter of fact, archaeologists have unearthed in that region uh, a mass grave of some 1,500 bodies that were covered in pig's bones and other trash. This was this is assumed to be um, an Assyrian army uh, rubbish pit, you know, uh, just a garbage pit. They killed a bunch of people, threw their bodies in there, threw pig bones on them to desecrate them, and then um, just threw their just army trash into that mass grave. Uh, anyways, so while this was going on, Jerusalem was in the process of being surrounded, and we'll have to find out about the rest next week, unfortunately, because we're getting over time. Like I said, I have a lot of stuff to go through. Unfortunately, hopefully you guys find this interesting. I find this fascinating. You know, this stuff is very cool. Like, just knowing the historical background to what is going on is very important, and I think it, 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 it helps shape things, especially when I start explaining um, next, next week. Like, there's certain passages that we read about that we're like, okay, that's, that's interesting. You know, like, oh, the, Hezekiah gets sick, and then the Babylonian envoys show up, and he shows them, you know, his army and his, his treasury, and, and Isaiah comes and is like, what are you doing? You know, well, it's because this, they were in revolt together against Assyria. He, what he was doing was showing Babylon, he's like, look, I got enough gold, and I got enough military might to pull this rebellion off. Let's do it. And what did Isaiah say at that time? He's like, you want to trust Babylon? You want to join yourself to Babylon? Then to Babylon you go, right? That's what he said. Uh, it's important. That stuff's important. But this is, this is the historical background to what was going on at that time when we read stuff like that. You know, it's just interesting. And it helps. helps us get a bigger picture, you know? All right, anyways. So let's pray and we'll close all right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you, Lord, that you are a mighty, mighty, mighty God, Lord, that you rule all of history, Lord, that you have orchestrated it all in such a way as to well, take it to your ultimate ending, to your ultimate conclusion, the final restoration of all things, Lord God, and the final day of victory when the earth is fully renewed, and we are your people, and you are our God in the resurrection, Father God. We do thank you for that great hope, the great promise that we have, Lord. Um, And now as we begin to worship you, Father, we pray that you'd be pleased with our worship, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, Father, that you would fill our hearts um, with exceeding joy and love for you, Lord God, that you, our worship would be pleasing to you, that you'd be glorified and honored in it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.